0: We read the scriptures together in the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew 24, let's read the first 31 verses. And the text will be verse 14. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple... And what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed, that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars, and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. In all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or or there, believe it not. For there shall rise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. We read the word of God that far. Let's consider verse 14 especially. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus spoke the words of this chapter in what is often called the Olivet Discourse near the very end of his life on this earth. He had led his disciples from the temple out to the Mount of Olives, and it was there in the last days of his life that he spoke the words of this chapter. As Jesus and his disciples were walking out of the temple that day, the disciples were marveling at the stones of the temple. If you read the parallel account in Mark and Luke, you see that they were Looking at the stones of the temple and the beauty of those stones. And they were pointing that out to Jesus. Look at this stone and that stone, and look at how beautiful this temple is. And in response, Jesus said something that was shocking to them. He said, verse 2 Do you see all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. In other words, All these stones are going to be thrown down to the ground and destroyed. And they continued on their journey out of the temple, out of the city, to the Mount of Olives. And when they got to the mount and Jesus sat down, a few of the disciples came to him privately and asked him, What did you mean by that? And tell us, what will be the sign when these things will happen? And the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? In the minds of the disciples, such a catastrophic event as the destruction of the temple must have been something that would happen at the very end of the world. And Jesus answered their two questions, because really there were two questions. First, when will this temple be destroyed? And secondly, what are the signs of thy coming and the end of the world? But Jesus answered those questions with one sermon, So you have to look at the sermon of Matthew 24 and the parallel passages and understand that from the start. He's answering two questions in one sermon with one answer. In other words, he tells them not only the things that will happen that will lead up to the destruction of the temple, which happened in the year A.D. 70, but he is also teaching them the signs of the things that will happen, In the whole period leading up to the end of the world and his final coming. Now if we zero in on the passage, we can notice that in the first 14 verses of the chapter, Jesus gives a broad view and he strokes with broad strokes of the brush to show us the kinds of events that will happen in the whole period leading up to the destruction of the temple and the end of the world. There will be false Christs, false prophets, deceivers. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes, famines, pestilences. There's going to be apostasy. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be the increasing of iniquity. Then he brings it to a climax in verse 14, which is our text. And he points them to the great sign The chief sign of his coming and the end of the world when he says this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then the end shall come but not before then unlike the previous signs and even unlike many of the signs that come after Signs which are terrible things, signs which are dreadful things, dark things. The sign of our text is the bright, shining, glorious sign. Jesus speaks of the triumphant and glorious march of the gospel into all the world and all the nations. This is the great sign of his coming, the one that we must pay closest attention to. As we live in these last days it's the most important thing happening in the world today all the other events in politics in the world of the Academy in the economy you name it none of them comes close in importance to the triumphant preaching of the gospel in all the world so let's consider that together the sign of the worldwide preaching of the gospel We'll notice, first of all, the sign itself and its fulfillment. Secondly, the purpose of this sign. And thirdly, the relation of this sign to the end. Not only in the period leading up to the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, but also in this entire present age of the New Testament, prior to his coming and the end of the world, Jesus says, This is the sign you must watch for. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. I trust that we all know the meaning of the word gospel, that gospel means good news or glad tidings. We are preaching a little gospel, so to speak, when we tell somebody good news. For example, if we Tell somebody that a friend of ours made public confession of his or her faith in the church. We're sharing a little gospel. Or if someone in the church recently had a baby and we're sharing the news, we're spreading a little gospel. Or maybe it is that a minister accepted a call to a vacant congregation. We spread the good news. So we understand the idea of a gospel a good news. But Jesus in the text is talking about the gospel, this gospel. There is a great gospel that is the good news of the greatest possible kind. Jesus speaks of the preaching of the most marvelous good news the world has ever heard. We hear good news from time to time. We hear weighty things good things, significant things. For example, maybe our nation is at war with another nation, and victory is accomplished. Think of after World War II, when victory was accomplished against the Axis powers. And all throughout the world, the newspapers were sharing the good news. We have won the war. The war is over. The young men are coming home. Or you imagine that... Maybe in our country, if a new prime minister would come to power, one that we support, his policies, and the news is spreading throughout the country that a new administration has come to power, and it's a very significant shift in politics, and it's good news to us, and we're happy about it, and we think that man or other will lead the country in a better direction. We're all familiar with good news and better news and really significant news, but Jesus speaks in the text about the good news as the one great message of glad tidings. There is nothing greater. There is nothing more marvelous or magnificent. This is a message of earth-shaking proportions. This is a message that has implications for all mankind And for all eternity, he speaks of the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news that the Most High God, who created this whole world, has fulfilled his promises to Israel in the Old Testament, his promises to send the Messiah. God made many promises throughout the Old Dispensation to the prophets, and he had them captured in the Holy Scriptures. He promised through Jeremiah to raise up a righteous branch, a righteous king who would save his people and establish a kingdom. He promised to David that his son would sit on the throne of his kingdom forever and ever. He promised through Isaiah that A kingdom of peace would be established in which the wolf would lay down with the kid and the lion with the lamb and the child would play by the hole of the asp and there would be perfect peace in all God's creation. God promised through Daniel who interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar that he would raise up a kingdom that would smash to pieces all the kingdoms of proud mankind. A kingdom that would never end. And in so many other places, God promised to send a Messiah, a Christ, a King, who would establish a glorious kingdom of righteousness and peace that would never end. And we who stand in the New Testament dispensation now have the scriptures which reveal to us Jesus. Jesus, who we are told began to preach That the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So repent and believe the gospel. That was the theme of his very first messages that he began to preach in Galilee and Judea. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe. And Jesus, who preached that he is that Christ, that king who has come into the world to bring salvation, he also fulfilled those very promises of God. Jesus Established that kingdom that God promised. When he walked the way of suffering that led him to the cross. When we see Jesus crucified with the superscription above his head. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. We are seeing that Jesus is the king promised by the Lord. And that he gave his life on that cross to fulfill the promises. To establish the kingdom in righteousness. So that there could be salvation for his people. And on the third day he rose again from the dead. As the king of kings and lord of lords, he appeared to his disciples and later ascended up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. There's a gospel of the kingdom now that is to be preached in all the world. And that gospel is that God has fulfilled his promises to send the Messiah to bring salvation, to bring the kingdom. It's the gospel that inside this kingdom of heaven are glorious spiritual treasures. Inside the gates of this kingdom there are, for all who believe in Jesus Christ, the treasures of righteousness, forgiveness of sins, peace with God, joy in the Lord, and everlasting life. There is comfort for the downtrodden. There is healing for the brokenhearted. There is justice. There is peace. There is hope. And so, this gospel of the kingdom goes out with the command to repent and believe and come to Jesus Christ and be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom includes the message of hope for the future that we find scattered throughout the New Testament scriptures and captured in that beautiful verse in Revelation 11 where it says that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever the gospel of the kingdom is the good news that God is establishing his everlasting kingdom Now it is established in the blood of the cross and it's being established with all of his people throughout the world and it will continue to come until it comes in all of its glory in the new heavens and the new earth. Now Jesus says that this gospel of the kingdom and this is the sign of his coming and the end of the world that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. When Jesus says that this gospel shall be preached, we understand that he doesn't mean it will simply be whispered, but he means to say that it will be proclaimed. It will be announced with authority by those men whom he raises up and clothes with the office of the minister of the word, so that they will stand on the mountaintops declaring to the world, the kingdom has come, and the kingdom is coming through our Lord Jesus Christ. That gospel will be preached in all the world, he says. The word for world in our text is not the same word in the Greek that is found in John 3.16, for example, that we considered a few weeks ago. It's not the word cosmos the word that refers to the whole of God's creation of heavens and earth. But the Greek word for world here in this text is a different word that means inhabited. And it refers to the whole of the inhabited world. He doesn't mean to say that the gospel will be preached throughout the whole of the creation, literally, but that it will be preached throughout the whole of the inhabited world, throughout all of human civilization. Now there are some who interpret Jesus' prophecy here as meaning that the gospel would be preached in the whole of the inhabited empire of that day. That's how they explain what Jesus means. That he only means to say that the gospel will be preached throughout the empire. The empire that could be found around the Mediterranean Sea, northern Africa, the Middle East, or the western part of Asia, and the southern part of Europe. Just that, the Roman Empire. So that once the gospel is preached in that area of the world, then the end will come in some sense. That's the post-millennial interpretation of the text. Because they believe that all of the signs in this chapter were fulfilled by the year A.D. 70. They believe, therefore, that this gospel was preached in the entire world already by the year 70. And, of course, it's true in a sense. And that was an initial fulfillment of the prophecy. The gospel began to be preached in Jerusalem. And it spread from Jerusalem into the whole region of Judea and into Samaria. And then it spread up to Antioch, a city in Syria. We think of Paul's missionary journeys. He brought the gospel to Cyprus. He brought it to the cities of Galatia. He brought the gospel into Asia Minor. And then, when he got the call from the Macedonian man, he went into Philippi and preached the gospel there and throughout Macedonia and Greece. Eventually, the apostle brought the gospel all the way to Rome, the capital of the empire in Italy. There are signs in the New Testament, too, that seem to indicate that the gospel may have made it all the way to Spain in the time of the apostles. The gospel may have been brought down to Ethiopia. Think of the Ethiopian eunuch who was converted. Tradition even says that some of the apostles brought the gospel to faraway India and to other places. So, by the year A.D. 70 or so, the gospel had stretched amazingly throughout the inhabited Roman Empire. And that was an initial fulfillment of the text. And the destruction of the temple took place in A.D. 70, when the Roman armies surrounded Jerusalem, besieged the city, and eventually broke through the gates and burned it to the ground, in fulfillment of this prophecy of Jesus. The post-millennialists are wrong, though, when they say that that was the only fulfillment. Not the only fulfillment, only an initial fulfillment. It turns out that after the era of the apostles, it became more and more known that the inhabited world is not just the Roman Empire. After the apostles' era was finished, the church did not cease spreading the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel pushed forward into the frontiers, into northern Europe, into Gaul, which became France, into the nation that became Germany. They pressed eastward into the parts of Asia and southward into Africa. The gospel was spread into eastern Europe and the Russian nations, and throughout the Middle Ages, the gospel took root in Europe. And those of us who know our history will remember that in the great century of missions, the 1800s, when new worlds were discovered through exploration, the gospel was brought over the Atlantic into the Americas, North and South America, and riding on colonial ships, missionaries went into the interior of Africa, into the very heart and depths of Africa, bringing the gospel. They also went into the Far East, to the great nations of India, Japan, China, Philippines, and elsewhere and to this day the gospel continues to be preached in these nations of the world we look around us and we think to ourselves the text has been fulfilled not only has man explored and discovered every inch it seems of this planet but now man is exploring outer space as well what is there left but the end has not yet come The fact that the end has not yet come proves that the gospel must still go out into the nations. And that the purpose of God is not just that the gospel will begin to be preached in these nations, but it will continue to be preached. And in some cases, it will spread throughout those nations to the far reaches. It also carries the idea of the spread of the gospel to different ethnic groups. In India, there are many different languages spoken in that one nation. In the Philippines, between one and two hundred different dialects or languages are spoken. The gospel needs to go into these nations, into these groups, it needs to be translated, it needs to be preached in all nations of the world. And Jesus says, Not until that is finished will the end come. So the great commission that Jesus gave was go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples in every nation, baptizing those who believe in their children in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That great commission still is in force today. And it's a command that comes to every congregation. It's a calling that comes to Wingham Protestant Reformed Church. It comes to a denomination that we work together in missions and that we continue the great endeavor of spreading the gospel until the end comes. Now Jesus also tells us in the text why God will have this gospel of the kingdom preached in all the world. God's purpose is that it will be a witness unto all nations. Let's pay attention now to that phrase in the text. Jesus uses the word witness. Now, a witness is a person who has seen something or heard something so that he knows something And he's able to testify what he knows, for example, in a court of law. The ninth commandment says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Meaning that when you are in a court, you must speak the truth about what you know. You must not speak lies. A witness is someone who speaks what he has come to see or to hear. But the word witness can also refer to the thing that is spoken. So the person who speaks it and the thing that he speaks are both a witness. When a witness speaks what he knows, he leaves a witness. And God's purpose is that a witness will be left in all nations of the world of what happened at Calvary. The witnesses of the coming of the kingdom were the disciples of Jesus especially. There were other witnesses, but especially the disciples of Jesus were the eyewitnesses. They saw Christ on this earth. They saw Christ on the cross. They saw Christ after he arose from the dead. They saw him as he ascended up in the cloud. They were eyewitnesses of Christ. They also heard what Christ preached. They heard with their own ears the gospel of the kingdom from the king himself. And the disciples, therefore, are the witnesses, the eyewitnesses. And their calling was to testify to the world what they had seen and heard. The whole of their preaching is a testifying It's a leaving of a witness. This is what we saw. This is what we heard. These are the facts about Jesus Christ. Now believe it. Repent and come to him as your Savior. They did that testimony through their preaching, teaching, and also through the writing of the Scriptures. The Scriptures of the New Testament are the witness of the apostles concerning Jesus Christ. So wherever the apostles went, starting in Jerusalem, they laid a witness down when they told people what they had seen and heard. God has a purpose that he wants this to happen. He wants people to be exposed and confronted with the facts of Jesus. He wants people to know this is what happened in Jerusalem, Jesus proved that he is the Christ by his suffering and death on the cross. Jesus proved that he is the Christ by rising from the dead and all the other facts about Jesus. God's purpose in sending the preaching of the gospel into all nations is that every nation will become a witness of these truths. Every country and every ethnic group within those countries, they must be confronted with Jesus Christ crucified and risen. But the question still remains, why is that? Why does God want there to be a witness left throughout all the nations? To answer that question, we have to back up and look really at the whole scripture and what the whole of God's word says about his purposes with this world. For example, in the book of Romans, and in other books of the Bible. We find then that in the first place, God's purpose is to save to himself a people that he has elected in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world and who he has determined would be found in all nations of the world. God's plan of election was never to just save one nation or one people, such as the Jews or any other group. His plan was always to save people from all the nations of the world. And when you read through the scriptures, you see the unraveling of that plan. His promise to Abraham to make him a father of many nations. The fact that at the Tower of Babel he judged their sin by confusing the languages and creating these languages creating these different ethnic groups and cultures why did he do that because he wants to save people from many nations tongues tribes of the earth so that there will be a wonderful and glorious diversity in the unity of the church god's purpose is revealed in a text we considered recently when jesus said God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's eye of love lands on the whole of the world. Not because he loves every single person, we've seen that, but because he loves people in every single nation, of every kindred and tribe and tongue. So God's purpose is to save them and his purpose is to save them by bringing them to faith in Christ through the preaching of the gospel. Therefore, the witness must be left in all nations. God's people are all around us, in Canada, in Europe, in Africa, in Asia, in the islands of the sea. We don't know where they are, but what we do know is that they're all throughout the world. And what we do know is that God will send his church his preachers into the nations to proclaim the gospel, to gather them out of the darkness to Christ Jesus, to bring them to salvation. And that's God's primary purpose and reason for causing the gospel to be a witness in all nations. But as we read the scriptures, we find God has a secondary purpose, and that's his purpose of reprobation that while his chief purpose is the election of his people from all nations, God is also determined that there would be men and women in the world whom he would not save. And God's purpose is to bring their destruction, to show his power in them, and to show his justice. That's why God will leave a witness so that when he judges and destroys unbelievers, they will have no excuse in the judgment. God causes all of the wicked to be left without excuse. And there's two ways he does that. In the first place, he leaves them without excuse through the witness of nature. In Romans 1 verse 20, Paul says that the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen so that all men are left without excuse. All nations, tribes, and tongues of people can see the witness of God in nature. They can see in the creation itself that there's a powerful, glorious God whom they must worship. But Paul says that they change the truth of God into a lie and they worship the creature Instead of the creator. And therefore they are left without excuse. When they come to the judgment. So Jesus speaks of Sodom and Gomorrah. Who never heard the gospel. Nevertheless they had the witness of creation. And Jesus says they will be destroyed. But it will be worse. For Capernaum and Bethsaida. Cities in Galilee who saw Jesus, the Christ, with their own eyes and rejected him. It will be worse for those who have heard the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom and rejected it consciously and deliberately. God will have the gospel preached in all nations as a witness so that they will be left without excuse. Some will be left without excuse because of the witness of nature. Their judgment will be less. Others will be left without excuse because of the witness of the gospel, the fuller revelation of God's truth. And their judgment will be worse. Why does God determine to have these varying degrees of judgment? It's a mystery, of course. But it's clear that God wants to reveal his justice in all of its magnificence and glory. He wants to reveal in the Great Judgment Day that he is absolutely and perfectly just. Sometimes we as Christians maybe struggle with that matter. How can God destroy people who've never heard the gospel? Or even people who have heard the gospel? The mystery of eternal damnation is a great mystery. But we have to hold on always to the truth of God's perfect justice. God will leave a witness so that nobody is without, nobody has an excuse in that great day of judgment. And so the Lord Jesus teaches us to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And the Apostle Paul expresses how the preacher himself personally feels about that reality in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 16, where the Apostle Paul expresses the fact that we, we preachers, are a savor of life unto life in them that are saved, and a savor of death unto death in them that perish. And who is sufficient? For these things. The preacher himself personally would like to see every person who hears his message believe it and be saved. That's the personal desire of the preacher and yet the preacher also has to submit himself to God's desire and God's will knowing that God's will is not to save everyone. But not only do preachers have a calling All Christians have a calling. And all of you, beloved, are witnesses. You are witnesses by virtue of the fact that you're sitting here today. And because you sit here from Sunday to Sunday, that makes you a witness. You can't say that you didn't hear or that you didn't know. You know. Not only do you know, but you believe, praise the Lord, you have faith. You're Christians. And that makes you a witness. You've heard this gospel of the kingdom. You've heard the good news. You know the gospel of salvation. Jesus says in Acts 1 verse 8 to his disciples, Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Even though you're not ordained preachers, you are Christians who know the witness. And your calling is to bear that witness, to participate in the work of the church, leaving a witness wherever we go, wherever we live, with those who do not know the gospel, with our coworkers and neighbors and whoever we have opportunity to speak to. And a word of encouragement to you. Don't be discouraged If you open your mouth and talk about your faith to your neighbor and they don't receive it, they don't respond the way you would like. Maybe you invite them to church, but they don't come. Maybe you invite them many times and they don't come. You ought to do that, invite them, but they might not come. Or they might laugh at you, or they might ridicule you. Don't be discouraged. Remember that God is leaving a witness for two purposes. God's will is always accomplished whether someone comes or not. But then don't hesitate. When people show even a little bit of interest, try to pry open that door. Try to have a conversation with them. Try to speak to them what you have come to see and know. Think of the apostles thrown into jail because of their testimony. And released from jail, it says they went forth rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' sake. That should always be our mentality. Remember, too, Lord's Day 32, which says, why must we do good works? And one of the answers is that by our godly conversation, others may be gained to Christ. Finally, Jesus taught his disciples The relationship between this sign and the end of the world. Now, as I indicated earlier, there are different views about the end times. There's postmillennialism. There's premillennialism. There's amillennialism. We hold to amillennialism. The postmillennialists look at this text, and they say that the end that Jesus speaks of here is not the very end of the world, but it is the end of that age. The end of the age of the apostles. The end of the age of the Jewish people when Jerusalem was burned and destroyed in A.D. 70. That's the end that he was talking about. Therefore, this sign was only a sign until that time. It's no longer a sign. The premillennialists have a very different view. And premillennialism, by the way, is probably the most widely held view of Matthew 24 and the end times. Millions of professing Christians believe that there's going to be a rapture of the church at any moment. And after the rapture, when all true Christians are, suddenly they vanish away into heaven, then there will be a period of Seven years, exactly seven years. And the end that Jesus speaks of here, they think, is the end of that seven years. They believe all these signs in Matthew 24 will take place in the future. They haven't happened yet. They will take place in the future, after the rapture, during the seven-year period, before the millennium. They believe that after the rapture, after all true Christians are taken out of the world then this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world and there will be a mass conversion of the Jews as Jews come to see that the kingdom is real and the kingdom is coming and Jesus is coming and he's going to reign on this earth for a thousand years and that's what they think the gospel of the kingdom is not what I laid out earlier but they think it's the message that Jesus is coming back to reign on this earth for a thousand years We reject both of those views. The signs that Jesus gives in this chapter are signs that are happening now. They're signs that have been happening since Jesus went into heaven and that will continue to happen until the very end of the world. The end that Jesus speaks of in the text didn't happen in the past. The end of the text is not going to happen before the millennium, this is the very end of history that he's talking about. The last day of the history of the world. The day when he comes on the clouds, as we read in the last verses of our scripture reading, with all of his angels on the clouds of glory with power and the sound of a trumpet to gather his elect out of the nations. That day, that end, which will be the beginning of eternity. Jesus says, That end will not come until the preaching finishes its course. And that's why this is the chief of all the signs of his coming. We're often quick to point out the wars the Ukrainian, Rus- Russo Ukrainian war, the war in the Middle East right now, the civil war in Myanmar, and all the other wars. Those are signs. That we're in the last days, the earthquakes, the pestilences, the famines. But all of these signs are subservient to this great sign. And this is the clearest of all the signs as we see the gospel going forth into all the world. In Revelation 6, there are the four horsemen, and the first is the white horse. We understand that to be the preaching of the gospel. The preaching is like a mighty war horse charging forth into the nations, conquering and to conquer, subduing the hearts of men, bringing the lost to salvation. In Revelation 11, we read about the rise of the beast and that he will slay the two witnesses in the street and that the world will rejoice over their dead bodies. Those two witnesses represent the preachers of the gospel. They're witnesses they're the ones testifying at the forefront of the gospel of Christ when the beast rises he will slay them and for a brief time the official public preaching that is done in freedom throughout the nations will come to an end it will go underground as preachers and Christians have to flee but it's only then that the end will come Christ will tarry no longer once the preaching has gone around the globe and has covered all the nations. Then it will be just a short, short time, and he will appear on the clouds. Jesus warns us in this last age to beware. There will be many people who will rise up saying, I am Christ, many false prophets and deceivers, so much so that if it's possible, even the elect would be deceived but he comforts us with the knowledge that it's not possible. He will make sure that the elect are preserved to the end. Our task is not to be afraid of the future, not to be timid as the church, but boldly to go forth bringing the gospel, sending missionaries, supporting missionaries, praying for them, and also giving a witness ourselves. This is a sign of his coming. Do you see this sign taking place? Then rejoice and find comfort in that. It's the sound of the approach of Christ on the clouds. You can hear the thunderous hoofprints of his horse as he approaches every time you see or hear about the spread of the gospel in the nations. Let our prayer be for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we give thanks that thou dost show us things which must shortly come to pass. We give thanks, Father, for bringing the gospel to us that we may hear the witness of the apostles of what happened with Jesus of Nazareth for our salvation. Father, we pray that we would also be busy and active in praying and supporting the mission labors of thy church. And we thank thee that our own pastor and one of our elders and his wife can travel to a faraway country this week. Grant them blessings on their travels. We pray that thou would cause the gospel to continue to be preached in the Philippines and in all other nations. Go with us now in this coming week. Be with each one of us in our unique personal circumstances, and Lord, may we show forth thy salvation from day